0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you inside. I, I suspect there's some that are outside on the lawn, but um, good morning. Um, I was able to be here uh, on Wednesday night for the Operation Christmas Child, and it was amazing to just uh, working together and, and getting all those boxes done. So, hey, just full transparency, uh, letting you know this, that I was scheduled to preach last Sunday. But a few weeks ago, a month ago maybe even, we found out we had the opportunity to have a couple folks from China be here, and we interviewed them last week, which was just spectacular. And it fits so well with the persecuted church and and praying for that. So when Chris said, hey, can you give up your week preaching? I said, sure, no problem. That's not a big deal. And Chris was scheduled to preach today and was all prepared and ready to go And then texted me on Thursday and said, hey, I'm not feeling so good. Can you preach? I'm like, I guess, sure. So, and I don't know if it's been like this for you. And Chris has said this a lot, but that now that we're studying um, City of Angels and all that, it's like every time I read scripture, I see angels everywhere. Um, It's sort of like um, my daughter Sarah lives up in Seattle and she recently had to get a new car or a new used car for her, and she got a Honda Fit and told me about it, told Nancy and I about it. And now every time we drive anywhere, all we see are Honda Fits everywhere, right? So it's sort of the same thing with the angel thing going on for me, is that, yeah, I can, I can preach because I've been reading, I've been studying, and I've got some stuff to say. And then the other thing I'll tell you that I'm doing, just in my kind of morning routine, Um, I'm going through this curriculum, the program called Rooted. Um, Now, I've heard about Rooted for a long time, had never gone through it myself. Our church had never gone through it. I know that Grace went through it. So, like, how many folks have gone through Rooted? I just want to see, okay, a bunch Okay, this is great. So we as a church are planning on doing this uh, in January, second part of January, starting as many rooted groups as we can. And I'm going to lead one of them. So I figured, well, I should probably study the material before I lead the group. So um, I've been going through rooted and it just so happens I'm in week five. And week five of rooted is there is an enemy. There is an enemy. So that's what that's what I want to talk about today. I've I've seen this in scripture with the angels and all that stuff and so if you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at the first uh, 11 verses or so. If you are have a phone and you want to look up the scriptures on your phone, go ahead as long as you can not watch football games on there, too. So, which I'm not sure I could withstand that temptation. So, um, what we're going to look at today is... Um Uh, Right before it, it's really important to put it in context. So, right before what we're going to read, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And it says that when Jesus came up out of the water, it says that heaven was opened up for him. He saw the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove to him. And he says that he hears his father's voice say to him, "'You are my son, whom I love. In you, I am well pleased.'" Okay, that is the final thing of this of the baptism story, and then we get to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this. Then Jesus, right after the baptism, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, "If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread." Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. See that? there are the angels right there at the end of the temptation narrative that he's gone through all of this, 40 days in the desert, all of these temptations from Satan, and it says that angels attended him. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 4. Move ahead to Luke chapter 4. And we're just going to look at one verse, verse 13. It's the same narrative. It's Luke's rendition. It's Luke's narrative of what had happened to Jesus. And at the end of it, it's very, very similar to Matthew in terms of the different temptation he faces. But then Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says this. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's so interesting to me, these two statements that the conclusion, at the summary of the temptation accounts are, are a little different, right? In Matthew, it says that the devil left and angels came and attended him. In Luke, it says that the devil left him, that Satan left him, but he was looking for a more opportune time. I just feel like my life is like that Often. Right? There, there's weeks and days and moments when, when I feel like I'm attended by angels, and everything is good and there's no real conflicts I have to deal with, and my decision making is good and all that, and it just feels like life is pretty good. And then there's other times where I feel like the devil's been looking for an opportune time, and I'm struggling. And there are days and weeks and moments when I'm angry or I feel sorry for myself or I'm kind of out of sorts relationally or I make decisions that just aren't very good. And life is just this conflict, this struggle of those two, I believe, where we are uh, attended by angels and things are good and Satan has found an opportune time to kind of come in and just get at us. And I've heard this years ago and I think it's just important for us to think this through that, that there are t- certain moments in our life where Satan does look for an opportune time and, and this comes from Alcoholics Anonymous, this little acronym, it's HALT, that you don't allow yourself to get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, Right? And it's not just being hungry for food. It can be hungry for just other things, for stuff, for relationship even, for things like that, that if we get too hungry, that's an opportunity for the Lord or for Satan to get in at us. Angry, we can be angry at somebody else or we can be angry with, for at ourselves and we open ourselves up to what Satan wants to do. Lonely, we can isolate ourselves. And man, it's sort of like, the uh, you know how you see those um Those documentaries in Africa where the lions are chasing all the little things. And if they can get one of those little wildebeests kind of off by themselves, that's the one they go after. And when we isolate ourselves, the same thing happens to us. And then just tired. And it can be tired just physically, but it also can be tired, man, I'm tired emotionally. Or I'm tired spiritually. And that those are moments where we open ourselves up for those opportune times for Satan to attack. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 it says that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. And so today I want to do kind of three things. I want first of all I want to look at what are the devil's schemes? Where are those times where he tries to get in our lives to to kind of those opportune moments where he kind of steps into our life. I want to just acknowledge that that is a reality of of all of our lives. And then I want us to bring that to the feet of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing about today is that we're gonna be taking communion together. And that'll be the final thing that we do. And that will be a wonderful, wonderful just picture of us bringing ourselves and our junk and our messed up selves right to Jesus and say, here I am. So that's where we're gonna go today. So that's what's happening. So in the baptism of Jesus, he hears from God the Father You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And that voice from God speaks of who Jesus, what his Jesus' identity is. This is who you are. You are the Son of God. It speaks of relationship. I love you. And it speaks of purpose. With you I am well pleased. And then when we go through the temptation narrative, we'll see that Satan tries to attack each of those areas that Jesus has just heard from his father, that that's what he's trying to do. So it starts out this way. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Have you ever read that and thought, that's really weird. Why would the spirit take Jesus into the desert to be tempted. I mean it doesn't say and then the devil grabbed Jesus and led him into the desert to be no it says the spirit of God led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And I've often wondered why does he go through this? And see I don't think it's that the father is thinking, well let's just see how strong the son really is. Cuz cuz God the Father and God the Son have been with each other for all of eternity. They know each other really well. Jesus knows that his Father loves him. The Father knows how strong Jesus is. So it's not that God is trying to test his Son so much. And it's not so much that that Jesus needs to know, well, I really am strong enough to do. No, he already knows this. Jesus was sent into the desert to be tempted For you and I. That's why he was sent. Pretty wild. It's for you and I. So that we would have a high priest, that we would have a savior who has been tempted in every way that you and I have been, who understands our weaknesses. That's why Jesus spent those 40 days in the desert. It was for you and I to know that he understands And the devil's schemes are an attempt to dismantle the identity, relationship, and purpose that Jesus had just heard at the baptism. That's what he's trying to do. And so what he's trying, we'll try to do with you. He will try to get you to think that you are not really a son or daughter of God. He'll try to get you to a place where you'll wonder, gosh, I wonder if God really does love me. He'll get you to a place where you're like, well, I really don't matter or have a purpose here. That's what he's trying to do here with Jesus. So the first thing he says is this, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread if you are the son of god i know you heard that from your father but you now are you really have you really thought are you the son of god and then he says turn these stones into bread and basically he says to fle- feed your flesh and not your soul take care of yourself obviously the father has forgotten about you out here he hasn't fed you take care of it yourself This is uh, really the sin that we call the lust of the flesh, that whatever I really need for my own pleasure or my own comfort, I'm going to grab a hold of, and that is what Satan is trying to do with Jesus, is to get him to question whether the Father really cares for him and just to take things into his own hands. Jesus responds with scripture and says, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Which reminds us just how important it is for you and I to know scripture, to have it in our heart and in our minds, so that we can think this through and meditate on it when we face the temptations that we will obviously face. So then the second thing he does is this. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, are you really the Son of God? And then Satan takes him up onto the highest point in the temple in Jerusalem, right? And he says, throw yourself down. And and Henry Nouwen calls this the the sin to be spectacular. Because what happens then is it's like, ah, everybody, look at me. Look what I can do here. And the crazy thing is that Satan even tries to use scripture to tempt Jesus, that, that Satan can twist scripture in such a way that we can become confused sometimes, right? So the folks will be on you. Can you imagine what this would be like if you were to be up there on the top of the temple, the highest point in the largest city, and people are looking, going, what's going on? Well, some guy's up on the top of the temple, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, you jump off, and you come down, and you come down, and you just start floating down, and you land very lightly on the ground. The place would go crazy. People would start coming over and go, wow, that's amazing. Who are you? What's going on? It's the sin of pride. It's the sin of pride. Look at me. I can do this. Then Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, he does this. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and said, all this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. Showed him everything, all the kingdoms and the splendor and all that stuff, and it could all be yours, Jesus. And uh, Nowen, Henry Nouwen calls this the, the temptation of power that you would have status and power and wealth and everything you might need could be given to you right now. I also call this the, um, the sin of the shortcut. You see, because Jesus one day is gonna have all the kingdoms. It's all gonna be his. Right, we know this: that one day every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. One day He will be that one that oversees every kingdom and everything. But what Satan is saying to Him is, "Look, we know you're going to get that someday, but hey, don't go through all this other stuff that your father wants you to go through. Don't try to get some disciples. Don't heal folks. Don't all do, and especially don't get arrested and crucified on a cross." You don't have to go through that stuff. I'll give it to you right now. The sin of the shortcut. And we face it all the time. Face it all the time. Then Jesus replies again, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the three schemes of the devil that we see here is the the lust of the flesh, that all that matters is my pleasure. And then the pride of life, which says, look at me. And then the lust of the eyes, which is, look at what I could have, should have, and must have. And those are his ways with us. So Jesus comes out and... um, of the desert and he is out of the temptation and and really he spiritually is strengthened and he continues his ministry from that point on. But for you and I, it's more difficult. In fact, I think um, there, there will be times in Jesus's ministry where he is tempted, right? It says that Satan looked for opportune times to tempt Jesus and he will tempt him at other points. There's There's a point where um, he's teaching and the crowd is so excited about him that they come and they say, let's make you our king, right? And and Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that's not why I've come. But what a temptation to become the king. And then then there's another time, it's really well known, it's when Jesus said, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, and then I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, 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 not you. And Jesus even says, get behind me, Satan, he saw the temptation that was there. And, and I just kind of think that we don't see many times in Scripture when Satan tries to tempt Jesus because I think he's like, well, that first time didn't go so well. <laughs> I'm not even sure I want to try again. But with you and I, right, it's a whole lot more daily sort of struggle with us. That we open ourselves up for those opportunities often. And I experience the temptation of the devil's schemes every day. And my life really is this kind of mixture of experiencing encouragement of the angels and the spirit in my life and struggling with the temptations and the struggles that Satan wants to bring and that we just live in this really difficult time. But here's the good news. And there's lots of good news, actually. We're in really good company. The Apostle Paul struggled just like you and I do. Romans chapter 7, he writes about it. Here's what he says. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do is n- not what I want to do, but this I keep on doing. Now if, I do not, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. All right? Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians of all time, started churches all over the place. He says, you know what? I don't know why I do what I do. The good I want to do, I end up not doing. And the evil I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. It's this this incredible struggle he's facing and experiencing. And then he gets to a place in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Romans. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? (laughs) I'm a wretched man. And then he answers himself, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That it is only through Jesus that we can overcome this. It's only through Jesus that we can deal with the temptations and the struggle and the sin that we have in our lives. And then he gets to Romans 8 and says this, therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. There's no condemnation. Isn't that great news? I mean, we know what it means to be condemned, right there's a there's a, a building it and, and a big old sticker on it that says, This building has been condemned. It means that you no longer can live in it. It means that it's going to be torn down, it's going to fall down. you just can't be there and And Paul says that we are not condemned, even in our sinful state, even as ones who've fallen away, we are not condemned, and we're not condemned because of what Jesus has done and the sin offering that he has made. So like I said in the beginning, I was going through Rooted this week, chapter five, I get to day five of chapter five in Rooted, and it is about how to deal with the sinful strongholds in our lives, Because you see, what happens is if we continuously fall into a cycle of sin in a certain area, it can become a stronghold in our life. And that's why it's so difficult to overcome. And then they give three really important steps on how to deal with that stronghold in your life. And the first one is this. Honesty and confession. And then as I'm reading this, and I was thinking about Romans 7 and 8 and all that, I realized this is exactly what Paul does. He goes through these three steps. The first one is honesty and confession. It's like, why do I do what I do? He takes a look at his life. So often we just kind of go through life without taking a pause to say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I responding the way I respond? Why am I treating that person the way I do? And yet Paul stops and goes, why am I doing this? I don't want to do what I'm doing. And that's that's the honesty that we all need. And then he confesses that this is who he is. And then the second step in the rooted deal is to surrender and repentance. And, And in that verse 24 where he says, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's like he finally gave up. He said, I can't do it on my own. <laughs> I surrender, I give up. Um, John Ortberg is a pastor, in fact, a really Fun fact for our church is that he was the first pastor of this church. Well, there was probably others back because you were back in 1901. So, um, but John Ortberg was the first pastor of Horizons Community Church that became Baseline that now is Hope City Church. And John Ortberg has a, a morning deal that he does, but he's created what he calls and kind of an online, and it's called the Fellowship of the Withered Hand. And he gets that title from where Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath who has a withered hand. But he, Jesus asks the man with the withered hand to come forward in front of everybody and show his hand. And John Ortberg says that all of us are like that man with the withered hand. We have all have some type of shame. We all have something that just we know isn't right. And so it's this fellowship of the withered hand. And then he has a mantra that he says often. And it's, it's well known in other circles too. But it's this. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. And that, and that is what, and that's where Paul got to. He goes, I can't, I'm wretched. God can, I'll let him. I'll let him be the one that changes me, that heals me, that brings hope into my life. And then the final part of the rooted deal is called accountability and freedom, that we were never meant to do this life on our own. We were never supposed to try and just trudge through this and try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need one another around us. We need a a small group. We need spiritual friendships. We need all of that to help us deal with the stuff of our lives. And then you talk about freedom, right? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You have freedom in Christ. But it's all because of what Jesus has done. So know the schemes of the devil. Take time to think through, okay, where is he trying to attack me? Where are the places over the course of my life that he gets in there and and just, I struggle. Get in there. Confront them and realize that, yeah, that, that is me. And then bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. So the really beautiful part, for me at least, of the temptation narrative is that it assures me that Jesus understands. He knows what it's like when we face temptation. He knows what it's like when we struggle. And the writer of Hebrews put it this way in chapter four. Therefore... Since we have a great, great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Anyone need God's mercy today? Is there any of us that need to know his grace in our lives? And what a beautiful thing that you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not confidence because of anything I've done or we've done, but confidence because of what Jesus has done. He has faced the battles that we face, and he went to the cross so that we can know forgiveness of sin and experience time or help in our time of need. So in a moment here, we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, I would encourage you to hold on to the communion elements as we sing to really think through, okay, Lord, where are you meeting me in this time? So I'll invite Amanda and her and the band to come back up front, and then the, uh, the greeters are going to hand out the elements, hold on to them, we'll sing, and then we'll take it together at the end. But, but know this. that we are called to examine our lives, that we are called to be men and women who uh, seek after God, and, and that he wants us to bring ourselves to him. He wants us to bring our broken, messed up, hurting selves to him and just honestly say, here I am. So let me pray for us. So Lord, thank you that you have gone through what we've gone through. Thank you that you've experienced what we experience. And thank you that you have made a way through the cross that we can know grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We're so thankful for your love, Lord. So thankful for that. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.